One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. What you doing down here, you surely man? Thanks, folks, and hello and welcome to the final episode of our Irish Times Second Captain's San Francisco podcasting adventure. Uh, like a lot, This is all with thanks to Sarah Lingus that we're over here, and like lots of Irish people who travel to the other side of the world, we decided to keep our distance from our countrymen and women. We want to meet new people, have new life-affirming experiences, and that's why we're broadcasting from Johnny Foley's Irish house on O'Farrell Street! These wealthy gold rushers have deserted Ireland for a life in San Francisco here. Ken, how are they looking? Describe the scene for our podcast listeners. Well, uh, Johnny Foley's Irish House promises stiff drinks, no blarney. Well, maybe a little bit. Uh, Tis time for a pint. So we're here in a darkened uh, basement cavern. Uh, a piano here to our right, festooned with sports memorabilia. Well, I say festooned with sports memorabilia, but actually all we have is a copy of Brian O'Driscoll's recent autobiography and a bunch of second captain's uh, merchandise. So the bar manager was down here a little earlier on and casting a skeptical eye over this. And she actually used the phrase tacky t-shirts, which I think caused a bit of consternation. But when I look into this crowd, oh, and all I see is hungry eyes. Uh, <laughs> hungry for merchandise. And in the case of uh, a couple of J1s, Possibly hungry even for food. <laughs> <laughs> the grand piano is an intriguing touch beside us here. We've had to move a second one off the stage to the left because the cellar here in Johnny Foley's, as many people might know, is home to the famous San Francisco piano jewels, we're told. If you've ever seen the iconic rap-off in the movie Eight Mile between Jimmy Rabbit and his nemesis Lickety Split, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. These piano jewels are said to be something like that with marginally fewer F-bombs. Now, one of the members of the second captain's team here, we just found this out in the last week or so, happens to be a level seven... Pianist, uh, not looking at anyone in particular again. So, nothing for now, but just uh, maybe. Would, would, would we like to see Ken play at the show maybe a little bit later? No, no. I explained that this couldn't happen. Well, it might not happen, but we'll see you the next hour or so. Elton John number or something, you know, Rocket Man or. 
something just <laughs> Ken I'm no. just throwing, it, throwing some ideas at you the last live show we did a couple of months back we wanted to get to know our audience a little bit better so we asked them to send us in the sporting highlight of their own career highlights that illustrated a complete lack of sporting prowess were looked upon more favourably and we received some I must say tragic entries that night we assumed you lot here would have a little bit more self-confidence you know from making your way in a strange we s- land we send out our best and brightest you know I would have thought <clears throat> I'm, I'm afraid Murph sure. we've got a real yeah. bunch of losers here tonight again <laughs> Let's start the healing. I'll go first here. What have we got? Brendan Bambury. Breaking a finger in an under-21's hurling game. Under-12's hurling game that I didn't even play in. Caught... <laughs> this, this... I hope this is true. Caught a belt of a hurl from one of the other subs during a disagreement over a Freddo bar. A fine choice of chocolate there, by the way, Brendan. Don't mind people who say the Taz bars are better. Caramel is totally overrated. Uh, Connor Farrell says during a junior C game I tried the very underutilised skill of Gary owning the ball but kicked the ball into my own face and ended up being carted off the pitch Ken? Uh, Liam Buckley reveals that while waiting tables and providing room service in a prominent Dublin hotel in the late 90s and early uh, 2000s I would take bribes on a regular basis from some Irish international players for extra biscuits or ice cream I don't know which sport that is but Rory Costello uh, says that two weeks ago we lost the Northern California Cup Finals to Stanford. Full disclosure, there were only two teams in the Northern California Cup this year. Us and yes, you guessed it, Stanford. Uh, Connor Laffey is here, and uh, apparently the sporting highlight of his own life, and that of his six friends here tonight, is that one of his group once caddied for Dan Marino. Brian Lonergan is also here. The highlight of my sporting career came a few years ago in a charity hurling match in San Francisco, where my sporting idol as a kid, Pat Fox, Place. Now, Pat, not being as mobile as he was in his heyday, was stationed at the edge of the square. I was a back and hadn't had the opportunity to pass to Fox all day. Last minute, I ran up the field, only the full back and goalie between me and Glory. Fox peels off, screaming for the ball. I think to myself, Pat Fox, biggest sporting, sporting hero of mine of all time. Don't need him. Wind up, take a shot, and drive it a mile wide. It's still <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Brian. Well, the biggest loser here tonight, who will get a second captain's hoodie for his troubles, is Leo White who says, when I was 10, I won the bronze medal at my school's swimming tournament in the race they had at the end for everyone who hadn't won a medal yet. I, I feel, a round of applause for Leo. I feel the pain. Leo, get up here. Where are you? Get a set and captain's hoodie for the man. For Michael Phelps over here. An honourable mention must go to Ronan O'Donovan for being on the first Blackrock College Cup rugby team ever to be beaten by St. Michael's. That was the Leinster Junior Cup in 1989. And we mentioned this one as friend of the show and one of the world's greatest comedians, David O'Doherty, was on the Michael's team that beat Ronan in 89. And David will definitely be listening to the show, so just look what you did to poor Ronan, David. I hope you're happy with yourself. Richie Sadler has joined us in San Francisco. He'll be up here on stage tonight. Another of our regulars, Lawrence Donegan, is based in the Bay Area, so he's going to be up here too. But first of all, it's the man we've travelled 5,000 miles to see, the greatest sports broadcaster on the west coast of America, co-host of Murph and Mac on KMBR Radio. Please give a huge welcome to US Murph! Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's a dream come true, boys. A dream come true for us all, Brian. How are you? I couldn't be better. I got a pint of plain. I got you boys at Johnny Foley's Irish House. And yep. uh, look at this crew. Uh, it's remarkable how much everybody looks alike out here today. <laughs> Where's the diversity, second captains? 
I think we're going to launch a second captain's affirmative action plan, all right? Just to get maybe a female or, a, or a somebody under the age of uh, 35. All right, so. But no, come on. This is amazing. And just kind of to show you guys that I brought the uh, wardrobe here. Ken, can you hold this here? Oh, what have we got here? Uh, got to fly the colors, boys, right? Oh. Gotta fly the colors. What have we got? San Francisco for our, Giants. For our brisk San Francisco uh, spring evenings, <laughs> a San Francisco Giants full-time jacket, three-time world champions, don't you know? Giants. Yeah. Hey. I was worried you mightn't get the cheer there for a second, right? B-L-A. B-L-A. <laughs> Dodgers suck. All right, there you go. Are you happy enough to co-present the show? We're going to drag you up here for the entire Can night, we? if that's all right. You guys paying me in Guinness. I'm good. Yeah. Now, I'm Bay good. Area sports has become an unstoppable machine. Uh, not just the San Francisco Giants, but the Warriors have joined the party. Now, is it always like this, or have we happened upon an exciting time? Uh, these guys are magic, right? Since they've arrived, the Giants swept the Reds, right? Uh, they kicked the Dodgers' butt last night. But more importantly, the Golden State Warriors have seen... In fact, I believe these boys touched down Friday night. Yep. And we're, we're making great contact. We had our big meeting on Saturday. On Friday night, Steph Curry launched a shot from 62 feet away from the basket, all net as they KO'd the Memphis Grizzlies. I saw that as a direct link. The boys have touched down. <laughs> Steph's making 62-footers. The Grizzlies are gone. The Warriors are in their first Western Conference Finals since 1976. And you guys are here to see it. Not only that, you're here last night when the Rockets tried to mess with our boys for a little bit. And the Warriors just said there'll be none of that and pulled away at the end for a 110-106 victory. Boys, this is the tallest of cotton. 1976 was the American Bicentennial, which was a huge deal for those of us who were old enough to remember. Oh, yeah, our little Bicentennial Coca-Cola cans. Gerald Ford in the White House running against Jimmy Carter. All the fireworks shows. So that's how long it's been since the Warriors were in this position. And now you guys are here to see it. So fair play to all of you. And thanks for bringing the magic. Yeah, I'm, ju I'm just concerned that... The you know the the four games that you guys need to actually win the conference finals aren't going to be played while we're here. So I mean, if you could arrange that we stay until at least a four game four, then, <laughs> then well, maybe that could, that could work. Speaking of which, I hope, am I burying the lead here? But game two is tomorrow night, and is somebody on a stool going to be at Oracle Arena tomorrow yeah, night? Yeah, I'm going. By, is it okay to go to a sporting event by yourself because nobody else is going? That's, that's good. <laughs> yes. Well, then I'll admit that I am going all to the these, basketball tomorrow. All night. of these guys have come here by themselves, so they're they're, they're definitely going to say that. It's either like a total baller move showing your total commitment to sport and your absolute dedication to learning the globe's sporting pulse or it's the move of a total loser <laughs> i'm a little bit concerned though brian you and everybody else over here told me that this would be a cakewalk against houston you obviously don't share the i think it's quite an irish sporting trait to get very worried when you're installed as favorites and to talk yourselves down quite a lot you boys are like yeah, yeah we'll beat these by about 30 points each game these guys, and you're right, I mean, for a team that hasn't won a championship since 1975 when Afternoon Delight by the Starland Vocal Band was the number one hit <laughs> on uh, U.S. radio. We all know that one, Brian. Was that a hit give, in Ireland? Give Ken a few pints there. <laughs> well, you can hear it. is the piano right there, right? The piano's right there. Ken's killed that idea already. Gonna find my baby, gonna hold it tight, right? That whole deal. So, yeah, Ken, I, I started you. You finish it, all right? <laughs> but uh, actually, with Ken's pipes, we should do more Barry White. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, uh, your first, my first, my last, my everything, right? <laughs> that was also a 1975 hit. So you're right. It is incredibly incongruous that we're, dare I say, cocky about the Golden State Warriors considering that they haven't done it in 40 years and this is the farthest they've gone in 39 years. I mean, 
the Lakers and the Celtics and the Bulls are just laughing at the Warriors in general for the last four decades. But that's the power of this team. So, guys, they play 82 games in the NBA season. This team went 67-15. and 15. That's one of the, I believe, one of the top 10 or 15 greatest regular seasons in history. So you've got to factor that in. And then you say, okay, well, then how do you do in the playoffs? Well, they swept the New Orleans Pelicans right out. And everybody said, yeah, well, it was the New Orleans Pelicans. It was their first go. By the way, Anthony Davis is the comer. That's the next story in the NBA. Anthony Davis That's and the New Orleans Monobrow, Pelicans get on him. Mon- Unibrow. Yeah, Unibrow. Unibrow. Don't confuse Unibomber with Unibrow. All right? Yeah, right. But... Uh, so, so then the Memphis Grizzlies come in, and that's the key moment when they messed with our mojo, and they took a two-to-one lead. But I was talking to my man Peter from San Jose over here, and we were talking about how that, when Steph Curry won the MVP award, the first Golden State Warrior ever to win it, which, again, I linked to you guys, um, it, it, it almost disrupted the Warriors. They got into sort of this post-MVP haze because it was almost like a val- it was almost like the last day of school he gave an hour long speech we talked about this saturday at AT&T park and he got into it, it disrupted the team's rhythm and they lost the next two games but what was really impressive and what i think it, when the book is written on these guys when they do have the parade in either oakland or san francisco we're right. not sure where we're not is, sure this where this is a real ga move by the way i don't know if you know this Brian, but uh, GA teams are always getting slagged for being cocky when they start planning the victory parade. Yeah, it's a bad story. That's a, yeah, that's a really actually, bad that story has happened story. in American sports too. Teams have been caught printing shirts. I remember the New England Patriots printed nineteen and O shirts before the New New York Giants Super Bowl, and they got busted for that. And sure enough, Eli Manning and David Tyree pinned the ball against his helmet. Although with many Irish, I probably have Boston ties. I shouldn't bring up anti-Patriot stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, right. But uh, but anyway, the point is they overcame that that stumble against Memphis. And now, went, so they won that series 4-2, and now they're 1-0 on Houston. So it's a long way of saying they're 9-2 in this playoffs. And if you t- tack it on to 67-15, they're freaking 76-17 and 17 in the 93 games they played this year, which is remarkable. That is incredible. This is the tallest of cotton. So we have a right to feel pretty good about these guys. Sure, anything can happen. But when you play 93 basketball games and you win 76 of them, that ain't an accident. It was a thriller last night as well. You had Steph Curry on one side and James Harden seemingly playing by himself in the final quarter for the Rockets. I, they might have been better served having a few teammates who could help him out there. Well, James Harden is magnificent, no question, but he's not the MVP of the NBA. The best player on the best team is Steph Curry. And yes, of course, I you know work for the flagship station of the Golden State Warriors, so I'm mildly biased. But if you guys watch... If you watch the games and you know that he played the fewest minutes of any NBA MVP ever, so you can't even throw the the stats out the window because the stats were very comparable to Harden's, but you consider that he played so many fewer minutes because the Warriors blew out so many teams, he sat out the fourth quarter. There's no question. You have to reward the 67-win team's best player, period. So end of MVP debate, and the writers got it right. It was a landslide for Curry. But Harden, obviously, is a prideful man. He's a very good player. He's the second best player in the league this year. And he wanted to prove that last night. And he put on a Harden-like display of shooting. It's really all he can do. He can shoot. Steph does more. Steph plays, uh, does an amazing job of handling the ball and distributing the ball. So it was a nice little matchup of the two guys going head-to-head. But the problem is, and it has been the problem for Harden, and why the Rockets are going to lose this series, is that you're right. He doesn't have the teammates that Steph does with Draymond Green and Harrison Barnes, who's really emerged, and Andrew Bogan and Andre Iguodala and Clay Thompson, his other splash brother, and the coaching staff of the Warriors, Steve Kerr and all them, are way better than Kevin McHale. The old Boston Celtic Kevin McHale is coaching the Rockets. And 
and that brings to mind the kind of the final point, which is Houston also has a guy who should be a dominant player named Dwight Howard, who's the unbelievable physique on this guy, maybe the most stunning physique I've ever seen in the NBA, seven feet tall, all muscles, 0% body fat, should go out and dominate every game, but has this incredible soft side that flared up again last night. He got his knee banged into, and sure enough, it was the biggest tragedy since the Hindenburg, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> He's limping around. Oh, my knee. Oh, my knee. Meanwhile, we played Memphis last series, and Mike Conley was out there with a broken face with a <laughs> yeah, mask on. Yeah, yeah. We were saying this morning, Mike Conley should, uh, should you know, make a necklace out of his mask and send it to Dwight Howard and saying, hey, regards, tough guy. Here you go. Because Dwight Howard acted like it was the end of the world, and that brings up the problem with the Rockets is that when Dwight Howard is one of your two best players, he's a soft guy. He's just a soft guy. The old phrase on uh, looks, like Dar- looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. Right? So that's the story. Well, listen, we're going to get a good friend of yours up here now, Brian, originally from Glasgow, now living up the road from you in Mill Valley, uh, Marin County. This is a man of many talents. He was a bassist in a band called the Bluebells. You may remember the big hit they had, Young at Heart, many years ago. Among the many brilliant books he's written is Four Iron in the Soul, which comes highly recommended by us. One of the great golf books, one of the really good sports books of recent years. Can you please put your hands together and welcome Lawrence Donegan! As Lawrence gets settled there, Brian, I might ask... Uh, well, I'll ask you, Lawrence, how you two guys know each other yourself in U.S. Murphy. Uh, well, first things first, how do you follow that? I mean, <laughs> It's like following Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Where's my Jack Daniels? So best of luck to, yeah. Yeah, best of luck to you, Lawrence. Uh, Murph and I, how did we meet Murph? Uh, I'll tell you a true story. Oh, here we go. Right so on. I was... <laughs> now, 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 Brian, we do have to ask Lawrence a few questions at some point, just so, just so we know that. So I was the golf writer at the San Francisco Chronicle, and as you mentioned, this man is a brilliant golf writer. It's four iron in the soul. And I had been a big admirer of his writing. I'd read it. And a big admirer of Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. You mentioned, what was the tune you mentioned? Oh, the Bluebells. Oh, yeah. Who the hell are the, I, see, that didn't hit in the U.S., Lawrence. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, number, one in, number one in the U.K. for six weeks. Bluebell, yeah, yeah. Young at Heart? Could you guys sing it and if you Ireland had to? Too. And Ireland, too. Anybody? Hey, I got a royalty check for 50 quid last week, so... (laughs) (laughs) Keep it coming. Lawrence is buying. But anyway, I got an email, and the sender said Lawrence Donegan, and I was a big fan of this. It was like getting an email from one of your idols, you know? I was like, is this a prank? And I clicked on it, and it was was an email from Lawrence saying that he had lived in the area and had been reading my golf writing and wanted to compliment me. However, the two things I remember was the lead said... I haven't written a fan letter since the Smiths broke up, comma. <laughs> but he also said, and while I compliment your writing, you are far too easy on that, on that oh. arsehole, <laughs> Colin Montgomery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Monty. Monty and Donegan. Have you guys talked Monty and Donegan? Nah, <laughs> sounds like Lawrence wants that for another night, but you've, yeah. you've known each other no, a long yeah, time. We have, so then we met to play golf. Yeah, we met and played golf. Um, and Murph was on the Chronicle back then, and we played golf, and then he moved to KNBR. He says, I'm doing this thing, you know, uh, they're, they're trying me out for a day or something. I'm just going to go, and I turned it on, and of course, bang. Yeah, yeah. A complete natural, a guy, I've never heard a guy talk 
Uh, well, I don't know. I've never. What's the word? What's the word for a guy who talks too much? Shite talker. <laughs> no. So yeah, and so and we just stay in touch. I moved back home and then came back here. And Murph's been a constant for the last oh god, ten. And now years. we live in the same town. And his son plays little league in the same league as my son. Is, are Maggie and Niall here? Or are they still up no, having fish and chips? All right. Anyway. All right. So yeah. So that's um, so just connected by writing. You know, I kind of if I read something in a newspaper or I, I kind of I, I like to tell people that they're great. I also tell people that are terrible as well. But <laughs> I, you know I was going to ask. So you're very much settled into the American way of life if, you're, if you've got your um, son involved in Italy. Yeah, I mean, if you're here, you kind of got to throw yourself in it, haven't you? Um, the kind of little league thing is really... I, I, was a, I read a piece in the Wall Street Journal today and saying that the little league is dead in America. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I mean, we live in a town called Mill Valley, and I swear to God, Little League is a, it's a religion. I mean, everybody, I mean, everybody plays Little League. You go to these games on a Saturday afternoon, and there might be 200 people there. It's nine-year-olds playing baseball. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, and, uh, I, yeah, I heard a rumor as well that um, uh, young Declan Murphy made a bit of an impact on the game at the weekend. This is... Uh, oh, yeah. oh, see, go, see I never there. see... Not, see we'd, are we going to get into bragging about our kids? <laughs> uh, you, you've got... 40, That's part you've of the got, religion. Not, you've here, got 45 you know? seconds of bragging yeah. about your part kids. Of the, well, the I'm going to brag about... I will not brag... I, I, in fact, I thought set twice before I sent you that text, <laughs> and it's come back to haunt me. What you actually said was, humility precludes me from telling you about Declan Murphy's Grand Slam home oh! run. <laughs> You know what the, word, what the word precludes actually yeah. means. Yeah. Now, modesty precludes Lawrence from saying that little Niall Donegan is one of the great left-handed fireballers yeah. in Melbourne Little League. He's got a in fact, tomorrow, I'm taking you boys to see two potential Hall of Famers, almost certain Hall of Famers, Madison Bumgarner and Clayton Kershaw, yeah. two lefty fireballers. I'd add Niall Donegan third. <laughs> yeah. on this, uh. Are you uh, a regular on the, in the bleachers uh, for these games, Lawrence? Uh, yeah, I am actually... <laughs> No, this is embarrassing. Yes, no, but um, no. so my son's on a team called the Rangers, and uh, we've right? got two coaches. Yeah, because what well, the Rangers? I mean, I'm the world's <laughs> biggest Celtic Obviously. fan, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I have been getting slaughtered by people at home. So uh, anyway, but uh, this being the Bay Area, the kind of the, the hub of the tech world, I'm the Rangers Little League uh, social media manager. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I live tweet our uh, baseball games. <laughs> he does. He's not kidding. How many followers do the Rangers have? Uh, uh, Twenty-two. <laughs> well, uh, twenty more, twenty-one more than I would have thought. Wait, about. wait. After this podcast, I want to see it go up to at yeah. least a hundred. Yeah. It's called. It's at. Uh, at it's called uh, Rangers. Uh, 2015 MVLL. Yeah. Nobody will follow that. Rangers 20. <laughs> but you have to because Lawrence does a brilliant job. He sends the at bat. He does little vines of the at bats. He he oh, he tapes he tapes the coach the coach's post game speech to the troops. Uh, it's it's brilliant. It really really he's actually truly groundbreaking, guys. Nobody's done anything like this, and it's like go. he's causing waves in Mill Valley. How's life over here? Good place to live. It's a, an incredible place to live. You know, we live. I say we live in Marin. I'm really lucky to live there. Um, you can go down to the beach. You can go for a run in the woods. You know, it's uh, it's an incredible place. And you've got great access to the city. Talking about getting used to America, I, I've become an incredible, you know, really uh, big San Francisco Giants fan. Absolutely love the Giants. Uh, Murph, in fact, Murph and I went, we go all the way back to the 2002 World Series. We were there in the, in the bleachers. And that's a, I mean, it's a kind of fascinating, being such a sports fan at home and coming over here and the, the kind of differences are, yeah, it's incredible. I would go to a Celtic Rangers uh, game back home in Glasgow and there's absolutely no chance of sitting next to a Rangers fan. Not a chance. And then you go to 
you know, Giants Dodgers or something, and you're surrounded by Dodgers fans. Yeah. It's uh, the weirdest kind of experience. Um, sports here are very regional. Yeah, you know, so you wouldn't travel. Obviously, this is, the reason is obvious. Is the distances are incredible. But uh, it's, a, it's a much more communal thing, where it's a much more tribal thing back home. But it's still great for that. How much have you sort of got into it then? I mean, from coming from football and golf. I mean, golf is obviously very much yeah. an American sport. But, I mean, are, are you actually into these sports like NFL, baseball, basketball? Oh, I mean? yeah, there's nothing better. I swear to God, I mean, I'm an old guy, right? But there's nothing better in a, in a morning, dumping the wee guy off at school, going to the coffee shop... <laughs> And just getting a chronicle out and reading, I'd spend half an hour reading the box scores. I mean, 10 years ago, what's a box score? What? I mean, who knows what a box what, score what is? What is a box score? Well, <laughs> for, for those of us who don't know, and obviously we know. Well, a box score is a kind of statistical uh, amalgamation of, of what happened in, in, in the, the last night's game. You know, all the different sports have got different box scores. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, the base, uh, baseball, the baseball box score, they're the kind of... They're the gold standard, aren't they? Yeah. It's, it's the, it, we have Dwayne Kuyper on our show every Tuesday and Thursday, and Kuyper just says he doesn't want to live in a world without box scores. It, it, you know? I, mean, I, mean, it, I mean, it is. It tells you so much about the game, and it tells you so little, but it tells you so much. And you, you kind of find yourself, you know, how, so just a quick one. Uh, Pablo Sandoval was a great guy who left the Giants. He was the third baseman for the Giants. He's gone to, to Boston. The one way to find out how he's doing in Boston, you want him to be doing really badly, obviously. <laughs> and you look at him, and you look at the box score and see what his batting average is. And, and I checked. And I checked last night. Oh, he on. went one for three in Seattle, and he's down. To, but he's down to two seventy. Yes. Which yeah, I know exactly. We're kind of. It's true. He spurned us, which I think we'll talk about later a little bit. But yeah, Lawrence is right. The box score and, and all these these are Americans in this room, right? I mean, all these are Irish, but they're living in America, obviously. And the pull you guys have to, to get this crowd here in this short of notice shows the impact of second captains. Yeah. But these guys know box scores. And Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper, who, who are such the, the great broadcasters for the Giants, will tell you that's all you need in a box score. It tells all the story, and it's great. Because even in this world of Twitter, and you get all the scores the night before, there's something soothing and ritual to going through the box score in the morning. The, uh, it's, it's the sheer volume of it as well. The Warriors yeah. game was on at the same time as the Dodgers against the, the Giants the other yeah. night. There was a big ice hockey game happening at that point as well. Yeah. That, that's probably something that you can't compare with other yeah. like parts we, of the world. Yeah, we thought we'd really done our homework. We were in KNBR this morning recording the, the football podcast. And, I, well, I'm, I'm prepared for anything that anyone wants to talk to me about because I've seen the, ba- I've seen the basketball game and I've seen the baseball game. So, you know, anyone wants to talk sport when we just come at me, you know? And then the first thing someone says is, man, were you watching that ice hockey game last night? It was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I already have one pair of eyes. Hang on a second. You, you didn't see the Cal USC uh, college ba- uh, baseball no, either? No, no, no. no. Yeah, the yeah, lacrosse yeah. just went straight yeah. over my head, so. Well, there is. I mean, I go through my uh, TV. Uh, you know, I've got the kind of whatever, I spend a ludicrous amount on cable, but I mean, you could just watch sport for 24 hours, 10 channels at a time. Last night, Giants, Warriors, I'd really, there was three college ba- uh, baseball games on. Uh, there's hockey. It just goes on and on. How does San Francisco compare to... Well, we've talked to you for a long time, Brian, about the really massive traditional sporting cities, Boston in particular, and Chicago, maybe be yeah, yeah. T- t- two to name ones that are multi-sport. How does San Francisco stack up against them? Well, I think we've touched on this over the years in the podcast, but I, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to travel to all the major American cities when I was a sports writer for 15 years. So I, and, I, and I did both baseball and football, so I have a pretty good beat on this. And as much as I am unbelievably proud of my hometown, San Francisco. There's no doubt that the West Coast does not measure up to the East Coast when it terms, in terms of just pure passion, lunacy, some might say. So I would say that the big four on the Mount Rushmore of U.S. sports would be, of course, New York, uh, which is, features your Knicks 
and your Yankees and your New York Giants and your Rangers hockey. You know, they're big into the hockey and all that there. And then, of course, Boston, which might even be more passionate. With the, Boston's different because New York is split. You have Yankees-Mets, divides loyalties. You have New York Giants-Jets, divides football loyalties. You have Knicks-Nets, divides basketball loyalties. Boston is unbelievable because it is the largest region of America and most densely populated region that has only one team per sport. And so, I mean, and, and I know so many people in this room have probably experienced it going to Boston. The Red Sox, beyond religion. The Celtics, beyond religion. And until 15 years ago, it wasn't the case, but now the Patriots, beyond religion. And then, actually, tell you the truth, I was just reading Bob Ryan's. Bob Ryan's a longtime sports writer, and you guys have had him on the show, I think, haven't you? Longtime Boston sports writer. I was reading his memoir. It's so New England-centric, though. It's like going over my head. But he made the case that the Bruins, the hockey team there, was even bigger than the Celtics with Red Auerbach and Bill Russell when they were winning all those titles. So, so in Boston, amazing. And then the other two would be Philadelphia, which is the angriest city in America by far. <laughs> I, I mean, just there's, there's no joy in Philadelphia, right? They, 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 they boo Santa Claus. They, they boot Santa Claus, didn't they? They boot Santa yeah, Claus. Somebody said they boot, <laughs> the line is they, uh, they boot Santa Claus in a Christmas parade. Somebody said they boo a blind kid in an Easter egg hunt. Is what they said. Yeah. <laughs> They're just angry. It's like they, they won the World Series in 2008, and it was, like, it was like joy mixed with rage. It was like, yeah, F yeah. I told you we would. <laughs> F everybody. And it was like, whoa, you guys are angry, man. <laughs> But then Chicago, I think, would be the fourth. So yeah, you haven't mentioned anywhere in the South. I mean, I thought the right. Dallas Cowboys were like the biggest. T- I mean, maybe my, my opinion is well played out of date. But I mean, football in the South it seems to me to be gigantic. No question. However, um, the Dallas Cowboys are the only team in town. It doesn't apply to the Dallas Mavericks or the Texas Rangers baseball. And in the South, it's college football. Yeah college football only so they don't do pro like Atlanta is one of the worst sports towns in America the fans don't care Miami the same way the fans don't care because all of their loyalties are turned towards the colleges yeah you got college football say, around here you got well Cal are so bad actually Stanford were bad this year as well but you go to Cal and there's you might you're lucky if you get 35,000 but you go down to Alabama or you go to any of these places it's 110,000 watching for spring football yeah, for, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. There was this. We had to have in spring. Well, the football's in the fall, well, it's autumn, and in spring they have the kind of the scrimmages. You know, inter squad scrimmages, and there's fifty thousand people there, or whatever. It's crazy, yeah, yeah. and yeah, y- you know, and, and pro sports, as Brian says. I mean, I've gone to the Braves. I mean, it's, it's dire. And, and Miami opened a brand new stadium a couple of years ago, and they've spent a lot of money. They got uh, Giancarlo Stanton. They gave him three hundred and sixty million dollars contract. I think the biggest contract in professional sport. And nobody goes. Nobody cares. <laughs> you, the Atlanta Hawks are in the Final Four right now, and I don't even nobody know cares. if anybody in Atlanta knows. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence, you've, both of you have spent time living in Ireland. You wrote a book yeah. called No News at Throat Lake. That's the one. Which was... Um, Actually, can I, can I just yeah. uh, quickly on... Uh, you were talking about your famous sport moments. You're only, uh, my one was I turned up one night to play for St. Uh, Michael's, our, our GAA team. Uh, it's a, it was a B team. <laughs> okay, Lawrence, you're playing a full, full forward. Whatever. We've got a couple of young kids outside you, and the two young kids outside me were Colm Anton McFadden and Christy Toy. You're joking. You know? Wow. Isn't that amazing? It was like turning out in Ryan Giggs and Lee Sharp <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> I, hope you're a Bo- I hope you're a Boston. Like, like, if, if, all you've, if you've ever played junior football, and I've played a bit of it, uh, <laughs> it's the big old guys. It doesn't matter how yeah. bad or good they are, as long as they can talk a good game. I will. So if, if they, you just put a couple of young lads beside them and just boss them around, tell them to do all your running. I, I That's think, basically what you have I think to do. Cole Anthony was 14. I think he was 14. Yeah. <laughs> it was I mean, just astonishing. You could just see 
Uh, and of course, they had me with my big skills and, you know, <laughs> the old head. But, but anyway, that was my one, my one big thrill in, in Donegal. Is that the Donegal football team that won the All-Ireland? I'm trying to yeah, flex yeah. here. Well, I'm trying well, to flex well, my well, knowledge well, here, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, co- yeah, cri- cri- both Christy and Colm Anthony played on that team. And they won an All-Ireland football, right? They did, of course, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course they did, yeah. Quite a few Donegal heads in here by the same things. Tell us about that book, No, no News at Throat Lake. Uh, well, the, kind of, the comedy of it was I, I, worked, I worked at The Guardian for a long time, and the joke of it was I was leaving the best newspaper in the world to go and work for the worst newspaper in the world. <laughs> I, well, actually, it turned out it was a newspaper called the Turcono Tribune, and it wasn't the worst newspaper in the world. It was, a, it was a, just a fantastic experience. It was a, a little local newspaper. It was run by two guys, uh, and they did it themselves. They did it in the... Um, this is back in the day before, you, you know, they cut and paste out the stories and they put, they put it on a page, and then... We'd drive into Derry and we'd, we'd, you know, the printers would do it there. So it was really, it was amazing. I mean, I don't know if you've spent much time in Donegal, but it's an, it's a, I just find it a mystical place. I mean, I'm sure it's not mystical if you're there and you're unemployed or whatever, but, but, but well, I mean, I don't, yeah. <laughs> but, but for a no, bloke. We hear you, we hear you. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, I'm trying to be sensitive. <laughs> Scenery doesn't pay the rent, right? It's often the sensitive comments that get the biggest laugh, I think, no. in this sort of environment, Lawrence. But scenery doesn't pay the rent. But I genuinely do think, you know, it's an incredible place. Um, and that was an incredible t- period of my life. How was that experience working in the paper? Well, it was, gr- it was great. I will say the circulation went up when I was there. We had some, uh, by about 50 copies or something. Like the MVLL Rangers Twitter yeah, following to go up, right? <laughs> But uh, we had some incredible stuff. Um, um, it was like Dancing at Lunasa, the movie came out uh, at the time. It was a terrible movie, actually, for the Leo Friel play. And, uh, but Meryl Street came to town. We couldn't believe it. So we got to interview Meryl Street. And then the other one was uh, this absolute douchebag called Newt Gingrich, who's an American <laughs> politician. <laughs> and it's, believe it or not, if anybody who knows... Uh, yeah, <laughs> just, but uh, believe it or not, well, actually, he did run for president the last time, didn't he, as a, the Republican nomination? But this was back then, and he was running. He was trying to get the Republican nomination, and he came to Donegal for... Um, to, it wasn't a, like, dig up the Irish ancestry. Oh, of course it was, oh. yeah. So he went, he went to the Doherty Centre in, uh, I can't remember, somewhere out. Who the, knows? The Gingriches. There's not <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> How many guys there. named Newt in Donegal, yeah. right? Yeah. So he turned up in Donegal. Anyway, we went. I went along, and it was great fun. And we came back, and we, because you own the newspaper, it's just the three of you running the newspaper. We put this great story about Newt, um, Newt Gingrich in the front page. It was Meet Newt, the fascist in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, all these old ladies in Donegal getting their, their paper on a Wednesday morning. They're like, yeah, yeah. Jesus, God, what's this? <laughs> but it was a, it was a great time. Brian, you spent uh, a year or so in Ireland as well, close enough to it. Yeah, well, we talked about it a lot, didn't we, in the uh, podcast? Yeah, but we uh, talked about something afterwards, which I wouldn't mind you sharing with the audience tonight. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so I did my, uh, and, and, and I know, it, what's so funny is, as great an experience it was, I knew that every Irishman I met was rolling his eyes as I told him that I was the young American there to, as you say, reclaim the heritage, <laughs> right? I mean, it, file number 1,750,000, right? So, um, although I, I had some romance when uh, I worked at the LA Times as a sports writer then, and one of my buddies there, John Lynch, said, yeah, you going back to Ireland, that's like Michael Corleone going back to Sicily in The Godfather, <laughs> right? And I was like, reclaiming the heritage, man. And I was like, yeah, but I didn't kill a cop in a Louis, right? <laughs> you, know, you, but didn't, you didn't lose your wife either. In no, the, in Apollonia. The, in I didn't meet Apollonia there, although we <laughs> talked about Frederica, Ricky, right? Uh, so anyway, uh, the bottom line is I just needed to sow my wild oats, you know, and my dad was the big 
super, his name was Robert Emmett Murphy, right? So, I mean, as he had it from birth, right? <laughs> and so the Yates poetry, the Make em and Clancy records on every more, every Saturday morning, all the stuff that you guys like get a barf bag for, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> but in America, this stuff had traction, you know? And so <laughs> what's funny is, and I try to say this like half seriously, but then I get laughed out of the room, is like, it is, you guys don't understand what it's like to be American, and everybody come, except for the Native Americans, the Indians, comes from somewhere else. You know, whether you're Vietnamese American or whether you're Mexican American or whether you're Irish American. And so it's a very American thing to be fascinated with your roots. And I know everybody laughs and Lapretians and all that <laughs> stuff that uh, everybody, where are the Lapretians at, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, uh, but there is something substantive to being American and being fascinated by your heritage, you know, whereas you guys, your heritage is just some bog for two million years, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Know your audience, Brian. God. <laughs> so I did it. I moved back with 2,000 U.S. dollars in my pocket. No job, no friends, no nothing. A friend of a friend of a friend of a friend gave me a safe landing. A guy named, and I'm going to shout him out, Brian Kalu from Tulla, the windswept hill in County Clare. He was living in Dublin at the time. Anybody Clare? Clare people here? Yeah? Up the banner. <laughs> yeah. How enthusiastic was that? Two. Two. No, I, it's okay that there's only two of you, but I mean, come on. Were you dragging? Make a bit of noise. That guy's asleep. If this, if this was 19... that guy with a stick there. If this was up. the mid-90s during the hurling renaissance, there'd be a lot more here, right? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I went, and uh, I later... You know, this guy's turned into one of my best friends. I trust him with my life. He's, I love him to death. But he later told me, when we became friends, he said, God, did I dread your arrival. Oh, my God. Some... Jag off American coming to my house trying to find the, his roots. Jesus. So, uh, but of course, he never let me know that. He served me chicken, Kiev, and mashed potatoes on a drizzly January night in, Mar in 1992, and then took me down to the Aston Cart in Black Rock in Dublin. I met all his mates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, there we go. More Black Rock than Claire, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so then I went looking for a job, and I had no permit. I had no work permit, so I knocked on every door, and everybody laughed me out until. You found the good people at O'Donohue's on Baggett yeah. Street, Marion Row, all those big-time heart-of-Dublin bartenders who were just had no interest in social skills whatsoever, <laughs> you know what I mean? That basically, the moment you, you said hello to them, they told you to F off, you know what I mean? And so, but all that, plus we were right near the Doyle, right? It's right isn't it right yeah. near the government building? Yeah, so we yeah. would get you guys, you would get your parliament people in and all that. And I remember Sunday mornings, there's that time you're supposed to close, right? But I remember a couple prominent Doyle people were in, and I was trying to sh throw everybody out, you know, because that was my job. You know, ladies and gents, don't you have, no, have you no homes to go to, that whole deal. <laughs> and they were like, just, yeah, just shut up. Just leave it. We've got people here. Leave them alone. So when the Doyle people were Charlie in, Holmes we had probably. to. Yeah, yeah, probably Charlie. My big claim to fame was there was a famous snooker guy named Hurricane something. Higgins. Alex Higgins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hurricane. <laughs> Can you believe Hurricane this guy? the first name. <laughs> So, m I was getting my traction about a month in. I was feeling my roots. I had been cuffed around by the locals, and I had toughened up. I was calloused up. And it was a Sunday night, and I was, I was like, everybody's out tonight. We're cleaning up. So I'm like, ladies and gents, you're out. Have you no homes? Let's go. Let's go. Round it up. That's time. Time to go, lads. And a guy's telling me, you got to stand on a stool and yell, F off the lot of yous. Right? You know what I mean? So, so I was doing that, and this one guy just stayed in the back the whole time with a lady on his arm, smoking a cigarette, making her chat, and he just wouldn't move. So I just took him as a challenge. And I went over and I was like, I was like, I was like, you're done. 
no more for you. It's all done. And they grab me and damn near threw my neck out. The owner grabs me and pulls me. Says, That's Hurricane Higgins. <laughs> you leave him alone. I'll sack your ass, he said. So, so I had to leave. I said, who's Hurricane Higgins? He said, he's a snooker champion. I said, what the hell is snooker? I said, the, so, 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 so I had to learn the lay of the land. And that's my okay, story. Well, listen. Brian Murphy's going to stay up with us, but Lawrence, you've been absolutely brilliant. I must say, Lawrence Donegan, everybody! Thank you. We have waited 10 years to come face to face with US Murphy here, so we're going to ring every last drop out of our live chat. It's also the first time we've met a group of our beloved Irish emigrant listeners face to face in the Irish Times Second Captain's podcast. And you've been a great crowd. We do appreciate you turning out in such big numbers, uh, even the Clare people over to the. <laughs> so it's got to be time for a live Pierce Brosnan's emigrant shout out. You're a real Irishman. You get the potato I left in your dressing room there? I've got the potatoes and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh, yeah, there you are. <laughs> Bread, yeah, in uh, County Mead, a place called Navin. Okay, so of, co- of course we have to do this. So it's a live Pibezo in front of a room of Pibezoers. Uh, so come on, it was a foregone conclusion. We have some prizes here. Thank you very much down the front. So uh, third prize is a John Milan Skills of Hurling commemorative tea towel. Uh, second prize is a John Milan Skills of Hurling tea towel. And a second captain's Euro 88 jersey, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, and first prize is a John Milan Skills of Hurling tea towel, a second captain's Euro 88 t-shirt, and a copy of Brian O'Driscoll's autobiography, The Test, signed by the great man himself. So, in advance of the show, now to win these prizes, we asked you for a little something. In advance of this show, we asked our audience of lovely Irish people in San Francisco uh, if being Irish over here has worked to their benefit and to give some examples. So Adam Glynn Finnegan says his accent does him plenty of favours and his wife is English whose accent also does her plenty of favours and they've been competing against each other for whose accent gets them further. Apparently Adam's wife sounds like a female Trevor McDonald though from IDN and that wins today for her. So not giving you a prize for that, Adam. Aidan Hart says... Uh, I tell people over here that freckles are considered a sign of beauty in Ireland, uh, and most people buy it. You get nothing for that, you complete bullshitter. Uh, so, third place, it's uh, Kieron Maloney. Kieron writes, uh, Living in San Fran is difficult when your name is Kieron. Christ, the Americans look at me as if I have two heads. Most of the time I introduce myself as Tom or Connor, just to avoid the awkwardness of uh, repeating and spelling my name. I feel your pain, Tom. So a round of applause there for Tom. Well done to you. Uh, second place... Uh, goes to Andy Kavanagh. Uh, Andy says his Irishness helps him all the time, particularly if stopped by cops. I act the dumb country Irishman and say all this big city stuff is new to me, and I'm confused between kilometres per hour and miles per hour. It's, uh, it's never worked, but I'm sure that it will at some point. Now, I should say that you shouldn't be breaking the law, Andy. Uh, that's not cool. I really shouldn't be rewarding you. But then again, Roscommon people have been trying this in Dublin for about 50 years. So, uh, anyway, you've come second. And in first place is uh, Diane Mellet. And maybe more accurately, her brother and friend, uh, Diane writes, uh, my brother and friend were out visiting me in San Francisco some years ago, and they had great success with the American ladies in the bars by declaring that they were the top two ranked astronauts in the Irish space program. <laughs> they, uh, they said they were overtrading with NASA for a few months. So a round of applause there, please. That, the man's ingenuity knows no bounds. Now, we are, we're going to give uh, another, pri- another prize to a Peruvian second captain, Paco Brito. Paco, are you in the house anywhere? Paco? Yes, brilliant. Oh, there he is. Hello, Paco. Hello to Paco. Uh, 
Now, uh, he doesn't get to play the Irish card, obviously, because he's Peruvian. But he does play the Peruvian card from time to time, he told us. Uh, I'm not Irish, I'm Peruvian, and I occasionally get a discount or a freebie at a Mexican-run coffee shop here in San Francisco as a sign of non-gringo solidarity. So we love it, Paco. Congratulations. And you will get some uh, second captain swag as well, so well played. Nicely done, sir. We've already got one of our favourite people on the world, in the world, I should say, on stage here. So let's bring up another a former Irish international, now one of the greatest football minds in Ireland. He's travelled all the way from Dublin to be with you guys tonight. Please give a massive San Francisco welcome to Richie Sadler! <laughs> Lads. How are you, Richie? Marvellous. You're only in yesterday. Have you enjoyed the city so far? I haven't seen much of it. I came in last night and I was wrecked and I didn't want to overexert myself this afternoon because of this evening. So my holiday starts as soon as this finishes. Starts yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Admirable uh, work ethic there, Richie. Yes. Yeah. It's awards night season at the moment in the Premier League and it's the only thing really making news in the football world because the season is pretty much limping to uh, a closure. Otherwise, uh, there's been the Raheem Sterling getting heckled, Louis van Gaal impressing quite a few people, uh, maybe having a couple of glasses of wine ahead of his uh, end-of-season duties. Did you have these kind of nights when you were playing these end-of-season awards? There wasn't end-of-season awards dues at Millwall, but there, there, there would have been a lot of dues where all the players, all the staff, and sometimes the chairman and the board were there as well. And I really don't know why they happen because of how they go. Um, this is recorded, so I, I, I won't tell certain stories. I give certain details. But I suppose it's no different from any other workplace where you have a load of people who are really competitive. They've maybe spent a lot of their working lives together falling out or finding reason to dislike each other. And then if you put them all in a room, fill them with alcohol <laughs> and some sometimes other mood-altering substances, <laughs> <laughs> what way do you think that's going to go? <laughs> so it's... Uh, they can be great nights <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> do, do any particular memories stand out? Any particular memories? I suppose I have to keep this vague. Um, <laughs> That's what the people want. Uh, vague <laughs> stories, Richie. That's what the people want. Give them what they want. The, the, there was this one time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there was an incident between a couple of players who, who actually were, were quite close, and, and there was a suspicion of... Something happened with somebody's wife or something like that. Um, throw drink in on top of that. Like, what do you think happened? So it, it, it can get very messy. Not often the chairman, <laughs> poor fella, he was, he was lynched a load of nights because when it's an end of season due or a post-season due, a load of lads in the squad know that they're leaving very soon. And, and they know that if, even if there's a game or two left to play, they know they're not going to be involved. So there's nothing to be lost by just letting it all out to either your manager or the chairman who didn't give you what you wanted in contract negotiations or just didn't even offer you a contract. Um, so it, it can be great to be there and to, to witness what goes on. Should these nights actually take place? We spoke in to Tony Barrett on the show today at the Times. He covers Liverpool and he was pretty much of the opinion that, well, there's not much point, I guess, celebrating mediocrity in a season. Well, Tony, Tony is old school. You know, he's a socialist. He doesn't believe in... Uh, uh, giving out awards to guys, well, individual awards in a team sport. He doesn't believe in giving out awards to the least bad player in a team that's had a terrible season. And he particularly doesn't believe in players bringing their kids out and walking around doing a lap of honour on the field. Why are they doing that? Actually, I think he blames America for that. <laughs> John Giles actually hates that too. Yeah. I've often been in, in the studio with him and he sees that happen and he just thinks it doesn't belong there at all. 
do they have this kind of thing in, in the US, even for the worst team, say in the NFL, where they have a massive... I mean, I hate to, to, to duck um, culpability here, but no, we don't. <laughs> I, I'm baffled that they have team-ending bank. That's almost like what you do in high school or a, a team year. Are you talking about like a year-end banquet or something where they, they all get together with awards and, and, and alcohol and, and give out like most improved and uh, exactly yeah uh, best <laughs> sportsman and all. No, we Cl- do not. Club man no. of the year. That kind no, of I mean, the, the, the best they do is like in American football and in baseball. They vote like on a team award. Like the Giants have something called the Willie Mack Award, which is to, named after Willie McCovey, the great. You guys saw McCovey Cove and the great statue. And it's to the to player who embodied the most team first attitude, the sportsman. But they simply vote on a piece of paper. That's it. And then before the last Friday night game of the year, they honor him for about five minutes on the on the field, and that's it. So no, we don't do it. I'm I, he. I can see what Richie's saying. There's rife with trouble. There we are. <laughs> There's a, other nights I've been to where it's a, it's a fundraising thing. So. The club would, would would host these nights, and the people that would go would have to pay a lot of money for a table, and even more money than if you want one of the players from the team to sit at the table, which is great, I suppose. If you're a supporter, you you get to do that. If you're a player though, and you have to do that, it, it's, it, I suppose, like a wedding or something. It really matters what table you're at, <laughs> um, because you can just spend the night then listening to some people kind of just sitting there. <laughs> And just sitting and they're full of th- all the stuff that I mentioned earlier. And you know, I pay your wages and you're here because of me. And you just want to be anywhere else in the world other than be with people who talk like that. Well, there was an element of that maybe for old Raheem Sterling or young Raheem Sterling mm-hmm. the other night. He was heckled by supporters. And it doesn't seem to have been as bad as was initially suggested. But there were a few supporters there booing their player of the year, which is a strange young situation. Player young player of the year in and of itself. Were the fans within their rights to have a go at Sterling? Well, I think they're probably having a go at him because he looks likely to be leaving or he hasn't committed his future to the club. And a load of, I was actually just speaking to two Liverpool supporters before I came on. Um, yeah, they're entitled to be annoyed that their best player is leaving, but I don't think Sterling is doing anything wrong by wanting to leave. Um, fans will obviously, particularly fans of particular clubs, will obviously only view a story in terms of their emotional involvement or their emotional attachment to the club. So a logical argument like saying, well, if a player leaves, he will get a better contract and more opportunities and more opportunities to win trophies. That's why players joined Liverpool in the past. Unfortunately, that's why some players leave Liverpool now. So I can understand why fans would boo him, but I don't think Sterling is wrong to be wanting to do what he is possibly about to do, which is leave the club. News tonight that Man United have actually inquired about him. Asked, I'd be know, amazed what? if that happens, yeah. Yeah, you would be amazed. You, don't, you think that's, a, that's, for some reason, that's too much? I'd be amazed with the people at Liverpool. I mean... It wouldn't surprise me if Sterling wanted to go. I, I wouldn't imagine that the, the history of the rivalry would be the reason that Sterling wouldn't allow that transfer to happen in his own mind. But if the people at Liverpool were to allow it to happen, I mean, these these clubs don't traditionally sell players to each other. It's ju- it's just it's not a rivalry that those kind of transfers happen. So I would be surprised if it happened. Yeah, yeah I think I think the last time they uh, sold a player, to the, you know, directly from one to the other was was in the '60s. You know, there's been a couple of instances where Gabriel Heinze a few years ago wanted to join Liverpool from uh, from Manchester United. Oxford is that absolutely no way. Um, I wondered how this works in in America, Brian. I mean, you've got you've got a guy who's a, who's a seriously talented young player. You know, everybody thinks he's going to go far. He's uh, you know one of the best players at Liverpool. Um, you know, the idea of him joining a big rival club. I mean, when it's happened in the past, uh, a famous example would be Saul Campbell went from Tottenham to Arsenal in free transfer. The next 10 years, for the next 10 years, every time there was any Arsenal fans, any, any, anything, anywhere to do with Saul Campbell, 
the, the abuse just was so vile. It was an unrelenting. It just never stopped. When a big player moves between two rival teams in the United States, what happens? Well, it's it's funny. It's the parallels are striking, and and I think about. So I, I don't know how the deal is when a player can get his freedom over in the UK or Ireland or Europe. I'm not sure, but in football, after four years, you're granted free agency, and in baseball, after six years, you're granted free agency. So it's, it's kind of a ticking clock when you get there. And the club either approaches you before your contract is up and offers you a super lucrative long-term deal, as is the case here in San Francisco with big names like Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner and all these guys that have brought us all these World Series titles, or like in New England with Tom Brady or something like that. However, two incidents come to mind that I think of. One is a huge national name. One's more regional. The huge national one is one I think we must have talked about 50 times on the show over the years, and that's LeBron James, uh, who was born and raised in Cleveland and became a Cavalier, but refused the Cavaliers' offers and said, I want to test the free agent market. And I mean, my God, I don't know how much it resonated globally. I think it did, based on the amount of verbiage. When he left for Miami, maybe the most famous sports quote in the last 20 years in the U.S. is, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach. Right, when I really hope uh, Raheem Sterling says I'm going to take my talents to Old Trafford. <laughs> See what reaction he gets. I mean, that would be amazing if he did that, wouldn't it? Uh, we, uh, what better? Yeah, it's not even Old Trafford. Is there like a party neighborhood in Ma- in uh, Manchester? Because South Beach isn't where they play. Yeah. South Beach is like where the rappers and the models hang out. You know, so what's the place in Manchester? What's the South Beach Salford? of Manchester? The Boys Club in Salford. Salford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what if he, what if Raheem Sterling said today, I'm going to take my talents to Salford? Right. <laughs> So that was the big one, and um, of course he was painted as a massive villain, so much so that he was so wounded by the fallout that he's returned to Cleveland, you know? I mean, in an attempt to rehabilitate his image, and he gave the whole piece to Sports Illustrated about... Sol Campbell could never have gone back to Tottenham. He could could never have happened. It seems as though they were a lot more forgiving. Actually, you know, if you had taken a snapshot in time when he left, you would have said the same thing about Cleveland, but time heals... And Cleveland is such a downtrodden city. You know, we talked about the Mount Rushmore, Boston, Cleveland, Philly, and New York. Cleveland is the sad, 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 sad little brother that hasn't won anything since 1964. And if you're looking for a sentimental favorite, my Warriors aside, Cleveland would be it because they haven't won anything since 64. So he's now, he had to do it, A, with time, and B, with a message that he was coming to rehabilitate the city. Like, he painted his Sports Illustrated piece announcing his return he painted himself as a civic savior. Like, he's going to put people back to work. No joke. I'm going to put people back to work. I'm going to put the kids in the schools. Did that work with the fans? It, Cleveland ate it up. Cleveland ate you, it up. You couldn't do that in football. Why not, if a, if a footballer in England did, a, did an interview, let's say Sol Campbell, said, I'm going to return... For what reasons? For jobs? Uh, I'm going to revive the economy and everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I think maybe there's a, there's, a, there's a cynicism maybe in English football, which, <laughs> which maybe is lacking from the Cleveland fans' America's reaction. America's a romantic place, right? Yes. There's sort of idealism as well. Though. Like, say, for instance, um, the other night with this kind of, you know, Carragher and Neville talking about this Sterling situation. Carragher obviously was angry for, for understandable reasons. But he made the point, you've got to think about how you're seen. You've got to think about how people, how your reputation is going to be, you know, over over years. You know, it's not just about um, each, uh, e- you know, at each time taking, grabbing what seems to be the, the kind of quick option. You know, he, he, he compared it to, you know, we saw Gerard leaving, you know, and this big <coughs> send-off, and everyone showing how much they loved it. But that was because he stuck there for years, you know, he kind of given them a lot and was now getting a lot in return. Um, 
you, I mean, I don't know how you think that applies to Sterling. Should he be concerned about being seen as a mercenary, being seen as you know someone who, who can't be relied on, or is, or is this Jamie Carragher just being a really angry Liverpool fan? Probably that. Um, Carragher, obviously, is seeing it f from his own point of view, which is it's focused solely on Liverpool. He hasn't been anywhere else. So his family and friends, where he grew up, they're all... Liverpool-based and, and the Liverpool-focused. So I would see why it would make absolute sense to him to focus on how you're seen by the people around you because all the people around him only see things through Liverpool colours. But but who else is he talking about? Like, why would you consider... Like, who is he talking about there when he says, it's how other people see... John Wright Phillips, maybe, I mean, as an example. But, like, how other people see me if I, if, if I was Sterling and I was to leave? And Carragher saying... He needs to consider how he is seen by others. Who are the others? His teammates, the, 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 the fans, the, the newspapers. The tea lady in Liverpool was actually mentioned. That, uh, well, you see, was, that's, he, he, that's, he said that's that, uh, absolute shite. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it is. He, he, what, uh, what the point that uh, Jamie Carragher made on Monday Night Football was that how can Raheem Sterling go into Liverpool tomorrow morning after the news has broken that he's asked for a transfer? How can he look the tea lady and the receptionist in the eye? I'm, I'm sure he can get through the next week of meeting that kindly old lady and then forget about her for the rest of his life. I'm, I'm sure, sure he could probably do that. Yeah, again, I, I, I don't know how to reply to that statement because, again, what level of difficulty did, does he think is attached to that, to going in and saying... Ordering what he does off the tea lady as normal. I don't. I don't. <laughs> well, it's the idea. It's the idea. I think that that this is actually. It really is supposed to be more than just a business. He is supposed to be more than just a self-interested young professional. You know, making the best decision for his career because he's involved in in a. It, I mean, the reason that he's uh, so highly paid and you know hero worshipped is because these fans love him. Like they have an emotional connection to the team that he plays for. It's not like just being an investment banker. You know what I mean? And if you behave that way then it's, it, what you're doing is, you know, you, the fans are kind of, you know, living this sort of illusion, I suppose. They love the club and they kind of want the club to love them back and it's not real. But when you make it, when you make it really obvious that you don't care about the thing they care about, it kind of, you know, in a way, like, is it not a professional obligation of a footballer to at least play along a little bit with the illusion that maybe he feels the same way about, about football as the fans do? Is it an obligation? Is it part of the job to act as though... You know, this actually matters to me. It's not just a, a, a way of making money. It's not well, just my professional well, self. Well, I think it does. You mentioned there that Sterling, in this case, is maybe being criticised by Carragher or other people because he's acting in self-interest. I'm absolutely convinced Carragher made all the decisions he made to stay at Liverpool because it was in his own interests. Because the currency in his mind is how people see me. He's a Liverpool-based player, he's a Liverpool fan, all his family and his mates are. So absolutely, it's consistent with self-interest in the world of Jamie Carragher to stay at Liverpool time and time again. It's not the same to say that of Sterling, who has been at another club and did exactly the same to his previous club, QPR. He left for big money because he could get his ambitions met elsewhere. He is now doing the very same thing at Liverpool. Now, if you're going to welcome him from another club to Liverpool with open arms and support him, but then turn around and like mock him or criticise him for doing the exact same thing again, and just because you're in the receiving end of it, then you're a hypocrite. You're talking nonsense. Are you American sports fans maybe... Sorry, Brian, you want to come in there, yeah? Yeah, no, no question. I'm fascinated by that. I remember Raheem Sterling from the England uh, side. And by the way, every World Cup, I know to count on England choking. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> and I do. I'm not just... 
I'm not just pandering. I'm not just pandering to the crowd. Well, maybe, maybe just a little pandering yeah. to the crowd. I, but seriously, that's been one of my calling cards. Is that I? Because you know, having been spent time in Ireland, Murphy, the name, the whole deal. I affiliate myself, and I came of age in the Jack Charlton years, you know, and uh, everybody. And I went to the. I flew to New York for the Italy-Ireland match at the Meadowlands. You know, it was so amazing. Obviously, who's the only team to beat Italy in regulation in the 94 World Cup, right? Jack's boy. Jack's army, right? Yeah. So, uh, and I know Paul McGraw's a friend of the program, right? Yeah, he, he is. He yeah. is, right? So, uh, so anyway, the point of the story is, is that uh, I know the Sterling story, and I'm listening to you guys with great interest. The catch is, is that I was thinking about right here in San Francisco, and everybody in this room has that great dual perspective of knowing Euro sport and San Francisco sport. So when I bring up the name Pablo Sandoval, they probably have a reaction, right? I mean, this was a guy who was homegrown by the San Francisco Giants. He was our Kung Fu Panda, and he was our third baseman. That's what they nicknamed him because he's fat and nimble. He was the <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. And he's a legend. He hit three home runs in one game in the World Series, a feat only accomplished by Babe Ruth, Reggie Jackson, and Albert Pujols. He's won three World Series as a Giant. He has one of the greatest World Series hitting records of all time. And he caught the last out of Game 7 of the World Series in Kansas City. And his free agency was up. And we all said, of course he's going to be a Giant. He's won three World Series here. He's going to be like Willie Mays and Willie McCovey and Buster Posey and Bonnie Bumgarner. And what did he do? <laughs> Off to Boston. Off to Boston three weeks after the World Series was over. And we were stunned. We were stunned. So it just goes to show you that, you know, everybody, as Richie was saying, there's, there's self-interest in the guy Carragher. He had a... You think of him as an altruist, but he really had self-interest at heart, right? And then there's Sterling, like Pat Sandoval, saying, I'm going to get a better opportunity. And Bruce Bochy, who's the greatest, he's our Giants manager here in town, and he's just the greatest. And he had a, he's the only – Panda really loved him and told him, you know, I love you, Bruce, but I've been told – David Ortiz is the big guy, big poppy in Boston, told Panda, if you come to Boston, you'll be more famous as a star there than you are in San Francisco. And Panda felt disrespected by the Giants who told him for years he was overweight. And they told him, you have to watch your weight. He's a fat guy. And they told him over and over again, you got to lose weight. And he said, listen, I'm a homegrown guy. I won you three World Series, and all you tell me is I'm fat? <laughs> Meanwhile, I can go to Fenway Park, the most romantic park in America. I have Big Poppy, the Latin godfather. And off he went. So, you know, two different stories. Uh, the Carragher-Sterling story, and then Buster Posey signs for 10 years in San Francisco. Pablo Sandoval off to Boston. So everybody's... Narrative is different. The point you brought up earlier on about LeBron is interesting because that is something I'd more readily associate with Premier League soccer. There's still an element that certainly someone like Jamie Carragher feels that you should be representing your people. And in the Shearer, case of... Yeah, Alan Shearer would be another prime example. And while Ryan Sterling isn't a Liverpool person, when he's there, he should buy into that whole thing. I kind of get the sense in American sport, maybe fans are more willing to view it as a business. Yeah. Take that sort of yeah. It's, it's rare to get that incredibly lucky provincialism that a player born and raised in the city plays for that city and wins championships for that city. That's a that's a one in a million. It really is. I'm trying to think. I mean, LeBron uh, would be the guy, and he still hasn't brought a championship to Cleveland. Most everybody else is viewed as a mercenary. So, I mean, while Pablo Sandoval, we were crushed and we were disappointed. We understood in the end that uh, it's a business, and we didn't have. I mean, I would expect Boston will not come to San Francisco this year because. They are in, they're in the American League and the Giants are in the National League. But if he ever did, I would expect he would get a rousing ovation. I mean, there's some wounds and all that. But, yeah, it's, I think because of England is a small country, and, and so the people who grow up in that city wind up playing there, and same in Ireland, I would imagine. But we don't get that. That's a kind of a one-off to grow up in a city and become that city. Like Tom Brady, 
is the forever New England's hero, but he grew up here, right down there. You can throw a rock and hit San Mateo, Tom Brady's hometown. Uh, you know, so it, it's rare to get that, that you would, uh, Bill Russell, the Ted Williams is from San Diego, he's their great guy, so it's a, kind of an amazing story to grow up in your city and win a championship in that city, it just doesn't happen that often. If it is too obviously a business though, I mean if everyone is, too, is really open about that, this is just a business, aren't fans just idiots for getting excited about it? I mean it just, it just <laughs> you well you, you've like basically Google stuck the pin in our entire sports existence right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I think people get, get annoyed with the kind of thing Sterling is doing, because, it's, because he's kind of just tearing away the veil, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that says this is actually more, this means more than this. I'm saying, well, no, I mean, it's just like make more money to play for Man City. I want to play for Man City. Yeah, but I think, I think a lot of people do realize that, that they can detach themselves from a particular situation, even if they support one of the teams involved. But, um, like, it's different when you're talking about a, a conversation about things like fans. Or, or you asked earlier, you know, should, should players play up to fans or, or give fans the impression they're X, Y, and Z? Like, the problem with that is all fans are different. They behave in different ways. And when you're playing and you're in a dressing room and forget what they say to cameras or to in, in press conferences, when, and when players discuss fans, it, they, they discuss it in different ways than when it's being recorded. And the, the, the fans you're in contact with aren't always the ones that are a fair representation of the rest of them. So they're the ones that are particularly animated when things go wrong, they're particularly rude, they'll come up to you when you're having a meal or out for having pints, and, and they don't censor anything they say, even if you your parents or your kids. So it, it's very difficult to sit in a dressing room and go, you know, it's for those people that I should make my next career move. <laughs> Those do guys really do 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 need to cost me yeah, 50 grand a week. Do you remember that fella when I was out with my wife last week? He came up and threw a pint over me because he said I was shit and all this blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, I want him. He, it's, he's in my mind when I make my next move. I want that, <laughs> I want that guy to feel happy. Like, <laughs> you, 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 you don't do that. W Willie, May, yeah. Willie Mays famously once said, F the fans. That's what he said. <laughs> True story. Glenn Dickey reported that. But yeah. Uh, it's funny, it's true you say that, that uh, the fans do behave differently in, 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 every, in every environment. So Did he say that on record? Like no, it was, it was sort of off the record in, in a columnist name. Now you guys, now we're getting into sports journalism of certain writers who behave differently than other writers and guys yeah. who take stuff that's off the record and maybe make a story out of it. And this writer, Glenn Dickey in San Francisco, heard him say it off the record and, and wrote about it. And then, of course, there were denials and you never said that on the record, etc. But... I firmly believe he said it. Yes. <laughs> Rich, I did want to ask you just a little bit about the current situation with the Irish team, which is uh, not amazing in terms of where we're standing in the group, but there seems okay. to be a fair bit of positivity around the performance against Poland. Overall, has this whole O'Neill Keane thing failed to take off in the way that you would have hoped? Well, I think when O'Neill took over initially, I think it was bigged up as this. It's going to be this really in, in inspiring period of Irish football. He's going to be very animated. He'll get the, the, the crowd behind him, which was needed because there was a bit of a disconnect for a while there with the Irish team and the fans because the way things were going and the way the team was playing. I don't think that's happened to the extent that we would have hoped when he came in. Roy Keane coming in as well, I don't think that's brought with it things that people hoped when, it first when he first arrived as well. So, like, the next game is what? In two weeks, three weeks, the Scotland game? Yeah, so 12th of basically June, the yeah. middle of the summer by the time yeah. the international season ends. Yeah. Like, a, a lot of the players who are going to be in that squad will have had three to four weeks since they last played a competitive game. So what those players are doing now in those two or three weeks will make a massive difference to how they're going to be in that <laughs> match. 
Um, the, the one saving grace in this is that it's against Scotland, so you imagine the Scottish players are doing the very same thing. They <laughs> <laughs> might meet each other in the nightclub. Yeah. yeah they'll the be out together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, I mean, we know that Jack Reedus isn't going to be playing uh, in that game. He's kind of re rejected the opportunity to come and join up. If he ends up playing for England, which looks pretty likely at this, this stage, would you look at what Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane have done and think to yourself, maybe they could have done a bit more at an earlier point there? Or, or, or is this a case of, you know, it's up to Jack Grealish to do what he wants? Well, it's obviously up to Jack Grealish to do what he wants, but it, it's hard to, to know from this distance, first of all, what specifically O'Neill and Keane did. So you can say, well, he met him, went to his house, but you don't know how those conversations went. But, but also, you don't know how, how, how great a force they're up against. Like, I'm trying to put myself in a situation, if at the age of 18 or 20, if... if I had another option other than playing for the Irish team. And the manager or the assistant manager of that other country came to my house. There is no sales pitch he could have given me. There is no promises. There's no, I, I don't know how the conversation would have gone for me to say anything at the end other than your country sounds great, but I'm, I'm happy here. So if, if, if he genuinely believes that, which I think he does, I think he probably has an attachment more so or a pull to England for very obvious reasons then it's probably too simplistic to say, well, it's O'Neill and Keane's fault because maybe there's nothing they could have said or done. I do think it was handled a bit shabbily last week, naming him in the squad and pulling him out of the squad or, or leaking it in advance. Well, yeah, he could well, be he in the squad. In the squad yeah. It was thought he was going in. Yeah, there was, a, there, was all, yeah there, there was all of that, and then it's now gone on record. Like O'Neill has said publicly that he, was, he, was, he, he rejected the chance to, com to come into the squad. I don't know why he felt the need to say that publicly. Some people, Brian O'Driscoll among them, have said, well, and Kenny Cunningham's another one, that should be that. We've asked him to come into the squad. He doesn't want to. That's fine. No hard feelings, but forget about it and don't bother trying him again. Would you agree with those people? No, I wouldn't. Um, it's like the Mrs. Doyle method as, as well. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? It's, it's, this is, can't possibly cost us anything to just ask a few more times. Well, he's... Like, w w we've most to gain. If he could, like, he could, like, first of all, he could turn around in, in, in six or 12 months and we could all sit in here going, why were we talking about this kid? He hasn't played in a year. He, he hasn't built on the first six or seven Premier League games he's played. He mightn't get into the Villa team next year. So l put all that to one side. But if he does come to us, we gain a lot. So there's nothing to lose by leaving the situation open, by saying nothing publicly and, and telling his dad privately, saying, listen, when you're ready to make a decision, tell us. Well, I'll ask the crowd here. Does San Francisco, do the San Francisco Irish still want Jack Greenish to play? Yes. It seems a little mixed, actually, but just, a, just about a yes overall. I heard only yeses there. All in favour say lost my ear. All in favour say aye. <laughs> All that opposed say nay. Get out. Declare, lads, again. <laughs> yeah. They don't even know what boss would ask. It's fine. Richie, leave us Up on the a high banner. Note. Are we going to qualify? You want a high note? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Richie Sadler, everybody. Now, folks, before we wrap tonight, we mentioned this on our website. Apart from a clearly fixed quiz contest with uh, Brian O'Driscoll in our final TV show, the series just finished, Murph here has gone undefeated in Ireland for a very, very long time. His quiz credentials are known throughout the land back home. Blackport Jungle Supremo, scoring an Oak champion, gridlock master. Keep talking. I don't know if anyone remembers <laughs> gridlock. Okay. He really was the biggest teenage dork you could possibly imagine. But can he do what Robbie Williams famously failed to do and break America? <laughs> well, there's only one man standing in his way. I am a real American. Come on, we're going to your favourite baseball game.
boys come on over. I'll get you guys garlic fries and anchor steam beer. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. Oh, yeah. Yes, indeed. Brian Murphy will take on Kieran Murphy for one night only. You do know about this, Brian. By the way, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> all right? But I'll take on all challenges in Trivial Pursuit. I, you guys play Trivia Crack? I'm like dominant on Trivia Crack. What's all right? What, so, what yeah. the hell is Trivia Crack? You guys know that app? No. Brian not only will be representing this fine goddamn country of the United States of America, you'll also represent everyone in the room tonight apart from the J1ers. J1ers, make some noise. Yes. Murph is representing you I guys. I knew it. I could pick the four worst-dressed people in the... The four <laughs> worst-dressed, most malnourished-looking people in the room. Everybody else, let's hear you. <laughs> right, if Brian wins, remaining gear in the second captain's prize zone here to the right, we'll go to you lot. If Murph wins, J1ers walk away with the gear. Which you do know what the J1 can is, Brian. I, I do. And can yes, I ask a question? What, what's the contest? What well, are we we're doing? We're getting to that. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. all right. Let <laughs> me do my thing here. Yeah. I'm walking into a bear trap. I'm yeah, sure the right? J-Wonders will probably just walk away with the gear. My dad told me yeah. never My dad told me never make another man's bet. He said, if a man bets you that the jack of spades can jump out of a, a deck of cards and spit apple juice in your ear, then you'll wind up with an ear full of apple juice. That's <laughs> what he told me. I've so just noticed, by the way, you all you have to do is say J-Wonners and you get a reaction. So, so all right. I, I, I'll be the <laughs> sacrificial lamb. Now I'm... I'm, I'm I've, Lowered expectations. Right. U.S. Murph, right. yes, yes. your subject, as chosen for you, is Irish sport from 1990 to 1995. <laughs> Murph, your subject is American. The answer is Hurricane Higgins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me, yeah, might be. Murph, your subject is American sport. Yeah, okay, I got You'll it. You'll get five questions. Wait a minute, I got Kieran on American sport? No, I'm, I'm answering the American sport questions. So, mm. I mean, you've got me on toast here, right? So everything's above board here? The yeah. fix is not in? Listen, if, if the fix is in, it'll be against me, Brian. Don't You'll worry get five questions each. Here it is. It's very simple. Don't worry You'll about it. Is there a timing each. thing? Okay. Uh, there's, well, there's a heartbeat going. That means it's dramatic, so we have to go quickly. <laughs> I'll only accept your first answer, and we'll go alternate questions. So okay. Brian, okay. first. Okay. 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 I'm going to give you a reasonable amount of time to answer each question. Ireland won gold and silver medals in boxing at the Barcelona Olympics in 1992. Name the two fighters. <sighs> that would be Wayne... The Pocket Rocket McCullough. <laughs> we need them both. And the man who not only had a parade down O'Connell Street, but I partied with him, Sonia O'Sullivan, and the RTE crew in Barcelona. True story, Michael Carruth. <laughs> Murph. The crowd is not on your side here, Kieran. But can you name the Golden State Warriors, both of the Golden State Warriors, Splash Brothers? Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. Yes! <laughs> Brian, if a GA fan was to say, come on the banner, to which county <laughs> would they be referring? Uh, there are two gentlemen to my right who would tell you... <laughs> county Clare. The windswept hill of Tulla lives forever. Clare, Clare, Clare. <laughs> it's correct. Kieran, how many World Series titles have the Giants won since they moved to this fine city of San Francisco? Uh, three. Correct! By the I'm skin of his good. teeth. I'm too good. By the skin of his teeth. What island, this is you, Brian, what island was Roy Keane on before the 2002 World Cup when he had a small disagreement with the manager, Mick McCarthy? Okay, so they, uh, what island? Uh, uh, somewhere no. in Asia. Uh, no, no, nobody, yes. nobody, nobody help. Cor Korea. Yes! <laughs> 
<laughs> Saipan is the answer. God, the Jay Waters are complete. Saipan is the answer. Sa the question was whether Roy came from McCarthy. You're one yeah. down. Murph, Kieran. Yeah. The New England Patriots quarterback from just down the road here, Tom Brady, has won how many Super Bowls? Uh, same as the great Joe Montana from the Bo for the Bay Area. It's four. Oh. He's yeah. got yeah. He's gotten all his answers from our chats on the air. <laughs> Well, that's kind of Doesn't the point. Right? <laughs> You're our U.S. correspondent. That's Saipan? what we talk about. <laughs> right, who scored for Ireland against Italy at Giant Stadium in USA 94? Who put the goal in the IT net? Rayo, Rayo. <laughs> who put the goal in the IT net? Rayo, Rayo. How You're back in it. Kieran, who was named MVP in the 2014 World Series? 2014 World Series. Quickly. Uh, oh, is it our friend Pablo Sandoval? No! The man who once went out with a girl of the same name, oh, no! Madison Bumgarner. He's starting tomorrow. Yes. What town, Brian, what town? Is this the last one? Yeah, we five yes. against five. What town in Cork? That <laughs> <laughs> uh, could be a J1 head. What town in Cork is Sonia Sullivan from? Cove! Wow! Okay, Kieran, to stay in it. Okay. It's to stay in it. What was Madison Bumgarner prevented from doing by the police during the 2014 World Series Victory Parade? Uh, no, nobody helped. Nobody helped. It's quickly. Oh, uh, he he um. No, no, hold on a second. No, he he attempted to save someone who had had a, a heart attack or something of some description. He would have been allowed to help the person who had the heart attack. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, Brian, for bonus points. He was not allowed to ride a horse down Market Street. Oh, yes. Correct. Well done, Brian. Almost everybody here. Gets a little piece of air. That's it from us. Wait, um, is that? Are we? Yeah, 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 wait, 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 before we go, before we go, I don't. What kind of? Uh, I was told I arrived at my buddy Brian Kalu's house for Easter 1992 with no gifts, and his dad sized me up and he said to his buddy, to his son Brian, he said, "You brought an American who has both arms the same length." <laughs> he said, "Next time, knock with your elbow." Is what he said. <laughs> So I've learned you have to bring gifts. So, my friends, ah. these are two of my proud books that I've done for you guys. I did a book called From Keysar to Levi's, which was I was commissioned by Jed York to glorify Levi's Stadium, and we were so nauseated by the idea <laughs> of a soulless corporate den 60 miles from San Francisco. <laughs> Our publisher brilliantly said, let's call it From Keysar to Levi's, so it documents all the brilliant years in Keysar Stadium and Candlestick Park, and I'm presenting it for the second captain's library. Brilliant oh. photos. Thanks so much, Brian. And for the second captain's library, my br brilliant, brilliant photographer friend Brad Mangin and I collaborated on the Giants World Series book, Championship Blood. And this book is presented to the second captain's library so that Kieran next time will get some answers right. <laughs> and this goes into the second captain's one. library. They're both autographed to you boys, and they're going to be hell of a carry-on all the way back. <laughs> These are big so books, there you Brian. Go, boys. Thank you so there you much. Go. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for me. That's it from us from our San Francisco trip. I uh, just want to throw out a few thank yous before we go. First up uh, to Johnny Foley's bar here, who've been brilliant for looking after us, particularly Martin Connolly, who's helped us out massively. Thanks to our accommodation partners, Airbnb. Get on to secondcaptains.com to find out how you can get a discount on your next Airbnb by quoting second captains. My two favorite words on discount. Mike on sound here today, everyone on KNBR, and of course, the wonderful Brian Murphy. Okay. 
Thanks, of course, to our friends at Aer Lingus for supporting and coming on board with us for this trip. As everyone here knows, Aer Lingus now fly daily to San Francisco, so it's as easy what as ever. What an airline. Just to get what on. an airline. What an airline. <laughs> wow. None better, Kieran. I'm looking forward to the flight back already. And most of all, most of all, thanks so much to you guys, the second captains, San Francisco, P. Bezerers. It's really special to know you guys are listening to us this far from home, and we appreciate the effort you made to get in here tonight. So thanks very much. What a night. Now let's go and get some anchor steams. Upstairs for bites, everyone. Let's do it. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.